Just have a special announcement for my listeners. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for uh, listening. Started off as an experiment in August, but I've had about 2,000 listens of my podcast, and I'm so grateful. I have a special request uh, for my year-end episode 2020, which has been an incredibly interesting year. I plan to do an episode of listener feedback. So what I'd love for you to do is leave me a message, and the link is in the show note, about what you took away. What was one thing after listening to several episodes was the most impactful to you to help that helped you in some way, or was an insight you hadn't thought about before? If you can do that, then I will be sharing some of those insights. You can see that link in show notes. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. When I went to my boss to quit my job in 1998, I was so anxious. The job I was leaving was considered by many as the best job in the company, and I didn't want to let him down. I finally got a chance to debrief with him 22 years later in this conversation. Cosimo Cos Laporta got his start just as I did, pumping gas at a Mohawk gas station. After we parted ways from the head office of that company in the late 90s, he went on to start a career at a fledgling company you may have heard of, Starbucks. When he left a few years ago, after 18 years, he was running their entire U.S. retail operation as executive vice president. In this conversation, we catch up on what we have each learned from our earlier years in the gas business and what we went on to learn including leadership lessons from Starbucks founder, Howard Schultz. Hi there. Hi, Shaquille. How are you? Good. How are you, Kaz? I'm doing great. Great. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. Yours too. <laughs> Takes me back. Yeah. <laughs> you sound the same. You too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for doing this and making the time. I really appreciate how quick you responded. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. You're living in Vancouver now? We are. Yeah, we're living in Vancouver. We've been here now for the last four years. Wow. We moved back from Seattle. We were yeah. in Seattle for almost 12 years. Wow. Um, and now we're back here in Canada. It's been great. What I'm yeah. doing is this whole, the theme of this whole episode I'm doing is actually quite selfish in that I'm just catching up with people that have been influential in my life and career and um, wow. having a conversation and seeing where it goes, what insights we can draw from your experiences to share with others as they're navigating this challenging time. And how long has it been since you and I worked together, Shaq? Well, yeah, I left, I left Mohawk in, two, in uh, 1998. In 1998. Same here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you left, oh, you left yeah. just after I did. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, you know, because yeah. uh, I after remember... I remember how nervous I was the day I asked you to go for lunch so I could tell you that I was going to do my MBA. Well, you know what? 
um, it was at that meeting where I didn't have the heart to tell you that I was also going to be moving on. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it was at that meeting where I realized, you know, I shouldn't tell Shaquille right now that, you know, I too am planning to move on. Although Moth was a fantastic organization to work yeah. for. And after 11 years, it was time to move on. But I remember how I was thinking to myself as a leader, what did I do wrong? that Shaq feels the need to go get an MBA. <laughs> and because um, you were so great to work with, uh, you were, your career was definitely moving forward, but uh, I was very happy for you yeah. in the sense that uh, you were moving on to something you really wanted to do. Well, it was an interesting time because we were just in the midst of having been acquired, right? Um, right. They called it a merger, but it was right. an acquisition of uh, from Husky. That's right. That, so that I think a lot of people... And that at that point had to really make some tough career decisions. Do yeah. you stay or after so many years that you've been there or do yeah. you move on? Yeah. My decision was definitely to move on. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kinda sense I, I mean I knew obviously I knew afterwards that you were leaving, but I did not know at that moment of that conversation at lunch where I was so nervous to tell you that you already made that call yourself. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd love I'd love to go back. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my first uh, knowledge of you as a human being w- goes way further back because a high school friend of mine, Paula, worked for you at Middlegate Mohawk. Oh wow! And that was so. Wow. I would have been. I would have been fifteen, maybe <laughs> at that time. Is oh, that wow. timeline wise, like around nineteen eighty yeah. six, seven, eighty six? Yeah, eighty seven. Wow. Yeah. So, wow, you're kidding. Yeah, that was when I first became aware of you. And I mean, because the name stands out, right? You don't know a lot of people named Kazimo or Kaz. So I remember that. And uh, Paula always had nice things to say for you. And I, I didn't do anything with that. It was just parked, it, parked in the back of my mind. And then um, years later, I'm working for my dad at his gas station. And you walk in yeah. and become his district manager. Yeah. So I'll tell it's you. So interesting. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you at that. That was interesting for me because at that time I was in university getting my business degree, and in that moment, like it all snapped together for me that here's this guy that a few years ago was working at a gas station. I'm working at a gas station, and now he's kind of a, a district manager at this oil company, servicing my dad. So it was very interesting, and that just that split second when you walked in. To that gas station the first time, I kind of did some immediate career planning. <laughs> that could be me one day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting because that Middlegate Mohawk was significant yeah. for me because, you know, after university, I was flat broke and, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to, uh, quite frankly, just trying trying to make some money and, and, and make a name for myself. Yeah. And, I remember when I got a job at Mohawk, I was just pumping gas, but at Middlegate, they promoted me to a manager and I actually got a salary. And I remember thinking, I have made it because I know exactly how much money is going to be coming in every month. My rent's going to be taken care of. And and that was a real pivotal moment for me in in my my career journey. But I always knew that I wanted more and I wanted to be a district manager. I didn't realize it was going to happen that fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it did. And yeah, your dad was one of my favorite dealers, first ship. 
Well, um, one of these days, I'm going to actually interview him on one of these podcasts because he's got some interesting oh, stories to tell. Um, but yeah. what, what, I mean, that's interesting that the milestone that you remember was that day you were put on salary and that was the yeah. feeling that you'd made it. You were what, 20? Well, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, 20, I was probably like 23. Yeah. You know, the reality is you get out of school back then and, uh, the economy was still a little hard yeah. and I had three different jobs. Yeah. And you were making money, but you never had the security of a job. And then Mohawk was my first, what I would call, stepping stone into developing somewhat of a career. Yeah. You know, I wanted to learn right on the ground how to run a business. And, and, uh, and then that led to, you know, managing stores for a year and a half. And then that led to being a district manager. And then yeah. it kind of just took off from there. Yeah, but well, it started there, pumping gas. Yeah, well, for for uh, my listeners, just to kind of let the cat out of the bag for for a bit, is that you started pumping gas at a at a Mohawk gas station, and before you left Starbucks, you were basically running the U.S. business. Yeah, I was for my last uh, three years at Starbucks. Uh, I was the executive vice president for all the stores. Uh, which was an incredible experience. And yeah. Starbucks was incredible because I had Canadian experience, I had US experience, and I had international experience. And yeah. It was just a real joy. But you know, I go back to the the, the my journey starting yeah. out in a gas station, yeah, pumping gas, managing people, leading people, and um learning so much from that experience that yeah. it really allowed me to continue on in Retail operations. Yeah, yeah, me too. Is it, do you, like, I have in my head so many interactions and stories from experience at the gas station that kind of came back to me later in life. Anything like that for you? Anything specific that, that kind of came back to you later in life? Anything you remember from? You know, from the gas station, I, I think that um, the way you treat people, the way you treat employees, yeah. Regardless if they're making minimum wage or if they're high salaried employees, yeah, really is going to define you as a leader. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I learned. I mean, listen, when when I was managing a gas station, some of those, you know, employees, uh, you know, they're making minimum wage and they don't necessarily need to show up, right? Uh, and they're going to show up if you create a great work environment for them. And I think. That stayed with me because if you can create a great work environment for those folks, you got to remember to do that at every single level that you're offering. At. Yeah, and uh, I tried to focus on that in my career for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'll talk in a bit about my experience of that having worked for you later on in, in my career. But it, you know, one of the things I noticed when you were my dad's district manager, like. You, I was like eager, right? Like I was in university thinking about my future and I noticed, I took notes, mental notes, that every time you walked in and you came in with a certain bounce and an energy. Um, and I'm just curious, was that as you're sitting in your car, getting ready to come in, in to, to visit us, was that a, con- a, a, a conscious switch you turned on or were you always like that, like all the time? Well, you know, I I can't say that I was like that all the time, yeah. but I will tell you that I always felt it was important to show up 
in a positive mood. Yeah. And and to leave leave, you know, in a positive mood. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's like, um, you know, sometimes the toughest part about being a leader is you got to yeah. be on all the time, and you got to be authentic about it. Yeah. But um, I I always felt that if I could give energy, I was going to get energy. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. You show up with energy, you get energy. If you show yeah. up with no energy, you're going to get no energy back. So true. And, you know. What, yeah. My one of my favorite pieces of advice I got from somebody I can't remember who it was. I think he said something like, be responsible for the energy you bring into a room. Own it. Right? Mm-hmm. Recognize you are responsible for the energy in the room when you're, when you're there. And that's stuck. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I find that at home. You know, yeah. my mood sometimes can determine the mood of the family. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you got, you, you know, we're, we're leaders at work. We're leaders at home. And I think your mood really is, it's critical. Your energy is critical. Yeah. And hopefully that becomes natural because you just like what you're doing. Yeah. You like yeah. your work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. We're, you have to work at it. <laughs> yeah. You do have to work at it. I, I have, so I have lots of great memories. Like I had vivid pictures in my mind of sitting in, um, sitting in your office when I was being interviewed. Uh, and, um, one specific thing that stands out, there's a few specific things, but one that stands out for me. Uh, I remember, you know, there's all sorts of times, like we managed retail locations and we had dealer operators and franchisees running those locations. And there were times when some of these individuals, these dealers would try to pull the wool over our eyes. And I remember that I was new, right? I was a new district manager. I operated from a premise of trust. I didn't think anybody tried to fool us or whatever. And I noticed a couple of times you really helped me out by catching some of my operators um, on something. <laughs> and I, so, so I remember one time that you wouldn't let things go. Like you would talk to some operators like with tremendous generosity and um, support and empathy. And then you'd be able to swing to the other side and talk to somebody else with candor, directness, and skepticism. Yeah. I observed that. What was your experience of it? Well, you know what? And it's a good observation because in that industry back then, anyways, we, we did have to deal with a lot of discrepancies and, and yeah. potentially some dealers falling off the rail and doing their own thing. And yeah. uh, But, you know, here's the thing. You know, the energy came, you know, I, I would say if you have 10 dealers, eight, maybe nine out of 10 of them are going to be great. Yeah. They're going to give you energy. They're going to get, and then the one that's not, yeah. you have to deal with it. Yeah. And you have to be open and honest. Yeah. You can't just, you know, beat around the bush. You got to be yeah. very open and honest with your concern. Yeah. And you got to potentially make a change. Yeah. We, you know, you know, you know that, Shaquille, we have yeah. to make a few changes. Yeah. Um, but the reality is most of them are going to be great. Yeah. And that's what keeps you going. Yeah. I think you know? you're right. I, in fact, I called on that memory when, Years later, I was a director um, of marketing at another company, and we had one person on the team that was um, on the side was a real estate agent, and it kind of came to light they were doing deals during the hours and faxing uh, sale and purchase agreements, and uh, it had gone on for a little while, and then I finally realized that the damage it was doing to the rest of the team. You could not ignore it anymore. And so we just dealt with it. 
And just, I was really worried because it was my first uh, time letting somebody go in a corporate environment. And I was really quite anxious about it. And what would it do to the team? And what would it do to the morale? I was really, that was the first time I realized that when you actually cut somebody away like that, you actually see the morale of the team come up. Right. Because you send a message to the rest of the team that, look, you value their work so much. It just wasn't fair that this person was not um, giving value to the organization. Um, so I learned that lesson too, but I remembered you then. Yeah, you know, and Shaquille, you know what's interesting is that most leaders will tell you that when they have to let people go, of course, it's the hardest thing because yeah. uh, we're human beings, right? Yeah. Um, however, most will tell you they waited too long. Yeah, and and they create and and there was too much damage created, and, yeah. and the minute the person's gone, the yeah. team starts to just elevate and and starts to perform beyond what you thought Absolutely. possible, and and Absolutely. you know it's critical that you that you don't create don't wait too long and, and create damage with your great team members. Yeah, yeah, that's so true, and I it's right. You're right. Every yeah. time I let somebody go, I always realize afterwards. I, I, I agonize way too much. That should have been done sooner. Yeah. For the sake of the company, but also for the sake of the individual. Because there was yeah. in the right place. They needed to do something else. Right. Right. And you're sending them to a potentially a different journey that they're going to be more of a fit for. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it usually works out really well in the end for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. you you left when you left Mohawk that day at lunch where you were already planning on leaving. Did you already line up something with the Starbucks? Did you already know that's where you were going? You know, I had uh, because you know back then Mohawk got bought out. Everybody yeah. knew it. I had certain industries approach me. Yeah. Um, you know, companies like Coca Cola, EW, Starbucks, and. You know, I chose Coca-Cola because it was a global brand. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, Coke. Yeah. Um, and I worked there for six months. Okay. Um, and I absolutely was not a fit to the culture or mm. the values of the company. Mm-hmm. And I got lucky because while I was there, I had Starbucks and AW phoning me back to, to wanting me to reconsider their offer. Huh. And I chose Starbucks. And I can't tell you how many people thought I was making a big mistake because they said, you know, you're leaving a global brand to go work for a coffee company. And back then, Starbucks only had 800 stores. Right. We weren't even a national, we weren't even national across North America at all. Um, So I had mentors telling me I was making a big mistake for my resume. I was making a big mistake for my career. But I knew in my heart that I was going to be a fit at Starbucks. Yeah. I knew in my heart that I loved their product, their values. Um, I just knew that I could excel in that environment. And you know what? It, it only took my first day there to realize this was going to be my home for a while. <laughs> it's so funny. I could, yeah. I could have probably told you that before because every time there was an opportunity to have a yeah. meeting with you off-site, you and I went, you took me to Starbucks. <laughs> That's right. I knew you loved Starbucks. You had one in your neighborhood. You had one in your neighborhood. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I was a big customer. I thought, you know, if I can wait in line every morning to get my coffee, uh, I could probably get a job with these guys. And it it was great. It was absolutely fantastic. Like 18 years? I can't ask 18 years? Just over 18 years. I started in Vancouver, 
the director, and then I went to the U.S., oversaw half the U.S. at the beginning, and then all of the U.S. in my last three years. But the international market was fascinating, too. I had 55 different countries wow. uh, where I oversaw the retail operations. And um, it, it was absolutely fascinating to learn how to deal with different cultures and laws and, um, and values. And it was fascinating. You it must know? so complicated. It very complicated. I yeah. mean, you have to be very situational when dealing with uh, with any country. I mean, not one country was the same. And, uh, you know, Asia was different than Europe, and Europe was different than, you know, uh, Latin America, and Latin America was different than, you know. And it was just the biggest learning I've ever had mm -hmm. as a leader was probably taking on the international market. I needed to slow down. Yeah. And just, <laughs> you know, seek to understand and listen a lot more. Yeah. For sure. I remember yeah, reading something great. about about Starbucks in uh, in Asia. Was it something about the way they recruited people? It was like really you know, modern. And is that something that sounds familiar to you? Asia is so ahead in terms of technology. Yeah. Uh, Jack. I mean, the way we were recruiting was really done. Uh, online and it was you know we had systems that would you know go through resumes and and just take out a lot of the grunt work and i think it helped us make some really really good people mm. um selections mm. um and you know they you know they, they were just so much further ahead uh from a technology perspective that um uh, it was just fascinating for me to actually be working in Asia, then bringing back things to North America that were working there. Um, wow. But yeah, no, it was fascinating. Was, 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 the fascinating. was the store culture very different? Like if you were to take a store, let's say in, in Vancouver, uh, in, you know, Carisdale versus a store in, let's say, um, Jap Japan, would there be a big, uh, big difference in store culture? I would say the store cultures were very similar, if not identical, because people were... Uh, connected to the company's values and mission. I would say what was significantly different were the business units, right? So the you know office in Japan was significantly different than the office in Canada versus the office in the US. And you're dealing with just different cultures. And what could be a compliment to one culture could be an insult to another. Right. And you really needed to understand the different cultures in order to be effective as a leader, yeah. for sure. And, and you know, one of the, you know, for, for example, Asia, it was all about the relationship first, the business was second. If you didn't build that relationship, you really had a hard time. So you had to invest in that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was more the cultures with inside the businesses, but the store's cultures were very similar wherever you went. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Like that boggles my mind and that how do you run an organization, a global organization with such different kind of country cultures and customs and norms, but at the operational level of the store, you maintain the same culture. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, I think when you have a mission that doesn't change. Yeah. Uh, you know, for Starbucks, it was nurturing the human spirit one cup of coffee at a time. Yeah. Um, when you have values of a company that you know uh, that you that did not change and that people were following, mm -hmm. um, it got a little bit easier. I think as you went up the chain uh, of leaders, um, 
you know, that's where you really needed to understand situationally. If you were in China, Japan, Korea, the Philippines, France, Germany, every one of those is six, slightly different in terms of how you would lead mm-hmm. your teams. Mm-hmm. But everything was connected to the mission and values of the company. And that's what made it uh, consistent, I think, in the storms. Wow. Of course, you look at Starbucks, you know, me as a consumer, it's one of those companies that everybody studies and tries to emulate yeah. and hires. And to think that it just started from, you know, a single location in, in Seattle and it became this global brand that is a beacon for culture and, and um, customer experience and innovation and to have worked there. Can I... I want to ask you two questions. The second one might yeah, be sure. uncomfortable with C, but the first one right. I want to ask you is leadership lessons from um, from Howard Schultz. You obviously worked for him. What is something that you took away working from him that you'll carry on and you'll share, share with other people? The biggest lesson I learned from Howard Schultz was in 2008-9 when the financial crisis hit in the U.S., and the economies were falling off a cliff, and Starbucks was almost falling with it. You know, and people were losing their homes, and people were were losing their jobs, and it was a very, very tough time. I would say the biggest lesson that I learned from him when he came back as CEO was to, when you're going through challenging times, to accept the brutal reality of what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. It becomes too easy to going to denial, especially if you've had a long run of success, mm-hmm. it becomes too easy for you and your teams to be in denial and just to think your problems are going to go away mm-hmm. and you're going to wake up the next day and it's going to be like it was. Mm-hmm. He um, really put the brakes on the company and, and really uh, asked us to accept the brutal reality of what was in front of us and be prepared to, to, to really climb a hard hill. And, uh, you know, even for myself, I was in a bit of denial in terms of, you yeah. know, we, we had to shut down 600 stores. Yeah. Um, and I think that with him coming back and, and just um, getting us to truly look at what's in front of us, the faster we accepted the brutal reality, the faster we got our teams focused on the right work, the faster our results came back. Yeah. But without that, you know, a lot of people, like, you know, you go, as a leader, it's so easy to go into denial and just think everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And you could be leading your, you could be leading your teams off a cliff. Yeah. Realistically. So I think that was the biggest learning for me. And it's so relevant right now. Huh? I mean, the whole world needs to be looking at oh. that and, and saying, let's face the facts, oh. let's face the reality. Oh, yeah. It's very relevant now. I mean, what's happening right now is, is very comparable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Very comparable. What you know, a great, good, uh, a great lesson. That's a really, really important, powerful lesson. You know, I, I, I came across that lesson recently. I'm a big Jim Collins um, uh, fan. Like, I really love his book, Good to Great. And I incorporated a lot of what I oh, do. It's my favorite. He talked about that exact thing, the Stockdale Paradox. Face the brutal facts and then move on. But actually seek brutal facts. Look for them, right? Get them all on the yeah. table, and then and then move on. That's right. That's right. And and you know, Shaquille, you bring up what's going on today. I mean, if you think about 
today with industries like airlines, hotels, yeah, you know, food and beverage, oil and gas. I mean, all brick and mortar. They're yeah. going through some very challenging, challenging times. Yeah, and uh, it's going to require something different for sure. Yeah. So my second question, that was great. Thank you for sharing that um, uh, yeah. so clearly. My second question is, of the people that that worked for you, what do you think they'd say about the biggest thing they took away working for you? I hope they would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I hope they would say that um, as a leader, uh, it is imperative to focus on the development of your people. Mm-hmm. And constantly be focused on upgrading your talent mm-hmm. um, because you know business is not constant it's not consistent things change and you need your teams to grow with it mm-hmm. and you need to bring people on that are going to strengthen your team I, I would hope that's what they got out of my uh, working time together I I will tell you the, the thing I'm proudest the most in leaving Starbucks it's not my sales numbers because I can, can't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the amount of people that were promoted under my leadership and, mm-hmm. and got opportunities to do, you know, bigger jobs, better jobs, mm-hmm. and got an opportunity to stretch themselves. So mm-hmm. I would hope that's what they would they would get out of it. For well, sure. that's great. That that's really great. Yeah. I um I I you know that time at Mohawk was such a special time because in some ways I felt like we were a bunch of kids getting to run the show. Uh, and it was like, you know, okay, well, I, was, I was probably the youngest district manager. I was, was 26 at the time, maybe 25. Um, you must have been in your early 30s. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we were kids. Right? The, 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 and the, the part of the organization that ran the retail business, that was it. Like, that was the ultimate career uh, step you could take in the organization. And you know, it was a few people older than us, but for the most part, it was a bunch of, you know, 20 to 30 somethings running that business. And we had so much opportunity to learn and grow. We were trusted. Uh, it was a real highlight in my career that, that few years. Oh, you know, Shaquille, uh, spending 11 years at Mohawk was the best experience for me right out of university because of what you just said. It was a learning environment. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of people, right? So right. it was up to you to do and get things done. Yeah. Uh, and you might not even have had the skills at times to do it. Right. But you did it. You figured it out. And um, it was just a learning environment. It was yeah. uh, it was like getting my MBA. Yeah. You know, it was just like... And, you know, there were two groups I found at Mohawk. There was these folks that came out of the university and then there was folks that were had a lot of experience. Yeah. And I remember just being a sponge in that yeah. company. Just learning so much every day yeah. it's, it's what kept us there right? yeah yeah it really is that is what kept, what kept us there and the only reason that i decided to to uh to move on was because it gave me a taste of what more they could there could be and i'll tell you right I, you know i was at a bit of an advantage when i went to business school because it was a case-based school i went to and we were sitting in the classrooms and debating cases and the number of times i'm sure my Classmates got sick of it, but I would always be able to draw something from an experience at Mohawk into the discussion at hand, right? Because we worked on construction, we worked on kind of community marketing, we, you know, worked on cash flow issues with our, with our, 
uh, company's operational issues, development and training and customer experience. Like we got to see all of it. And um, I mean, what there was such a rich kind of um, base I had to draw from for the rest of my career. And it really did make a difference for me. So uh, thank you. Thank yeah, you for, for your leadership in that time. Oh, yeah. I really learned a lot. Well, that's great. That's nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wanted to um, I kind of close our conversation with um, with kind of one thing. Um, you, uh, one of the things I recall when I um, became a district manager and I went on the road the first time, you know, we used to, of course, spend a lot of time on the road. And uh, I remember the first time I came back, you called me in and you said, look, when you come back, don't worry about coming into the office on the Friday. You can work from home. I would have never thought to ask that you were so proactive in telling me that. And like back in the, like the nineties, that was unusual, right? The idea of working from home was really unusual. It was such an office based culture everywhere. Um, you recommended that then, and now we're in a situation where everybody's working from home. Yeah. A bit ahead of the curve. Well, you know, I, you know, I know what it was like to do that job, the district yeah. manager's job. But when you're on the road, things pile up and, and then, you know, you're better off and you're away from your friends and family and, uh, you're better off just taking a day yeah. to be at home and to get a little bit caught up. And, and I remember how important that was for me after yeah. coming off the road, just to be able to regroup and, and, uh, be able to come back in on monday much more refreshed and ready yeah. to go for yeah. sure yeah. and now you got everybody at home <laughs> yeah exactly now you got everybody at home and so what do you think is going to happen where do you think work work life is going to go do you think people are going to stay working from home or do you think they're going to go back to the office when they can i think there's some companies that are making decisions right now that they are impressed i guess with the level of productivity Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're making decisions to keep some of their employees at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I don't know if you're aware of Zillow in the yeah. Seattle. Zillow yeah. is a yeah, real estate company. I think they made a decision that all 5,000 of their employees now are going to be working from home for good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, Shaquille, I would, I would caution companies from moving so drastically now mm-hmm. because I think that, you know, if you're in a transactional job and, you know, you and your sole contributor, you, you might be able to be more productive at home, right? Yeah. But if you're in a leadership role, right? Um, I, I think being visible and being part of the hallway conversation and being part of those, you know, Friday last minute meetings, I think it's critical for your development. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's going to be effective for people to have their entire companies at home. Yeah. I think there's going to be a bit of a hybrid. In all fairness, you know, people don't have to spend time in traffic. They're, yeah. they've, they've got more time to, you know. But you don't want your entire company at home. Or you're going to end up, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to end up with a, a completely underdeveloped yeah. leadership group. Uh, and I, I stress that because I've seen it. I, you know, yeah. I, I have not seen a lot of people in leadership, significant leadership roles progress their careers working from home. Yeah. Now, having said that, we might not have a choice for a while. Yeah. And I think people have to make do, but um, I'm just cautioning companies in making such drastic decisions 
so fast. I mean, yeah. we're only eight months into this pandemic. Yeah. We don't really know what the outcome is going to be. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. That's a really good thing. I think what's important right now, yeah. you know what I think is important right now, Shaquille, is just giving everyone flexibility. Yeah. They've got to do what they have to do to keep harmony within their house and their work. And uh, everybody's situation is different. And I think giving people flexibility is the key. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, yeah. Oz, one of one of my favorite uh, leadership professors I work with now has come up with this um, this great analogy for what kind of leadership is required uh, now, because it's uh, a, basically being Hercules and Buddha at the same time. <laughs> and um, I wanted to close the conversation, saying that um, in my career, I view you as having been both Hercules and Buddha at the same time. And thank you for <laughs> thank that. You. Thank you for that. No, thank you. That, I'm gonna, I'm, that's a good one. I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we can yeah, stay connected. I, I know you're still being interested. I love it. And we we'll look forward to our next conversation. And uh, thanks for making the time. Wish you all the best. You're very welcome, Shaquille. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I feel better after that conversation. Wasn't Cause a great guy? So here's what I took away from cause. First of all, remember that uh, your people have a choice to make as to whether they come work for you, whether they come to work the next day. As a leader, bring energy. Be responsible for the energy you bring to the relationship because it sets the mood. Sometimes you just have to let people go. When you come to the conclusion that people aren't the right fit, you have to act. The longer you take to act, the more damage you can do. Gave a lesson from Howard Schultz. Face the brutal facts. Accept reality. Put different issues on the table. And then move on. Constantly be developing yourself. Learning should be an ongoing, everyday exercise. Not a once-a-year activity. And finally, he gave a caution and warning to business leaders that are thinking of going completely virtual in their working environment. He thinks it's going to be good um, in many ways, but that we lose a lot from leadership if we don't have an opportunity to get together uh, physically once this is all over. Thanks for joining me. Hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.
reason Taking the peace and from my soul and leaving me to die And I feel the lacing, LNC like racing, unstationary animation Taking me from the